Good morning, everybody. I'd like to say it's great to be back, but we left a lovely English summer to come home to this, so uh, we're sort of ambivalent, but anyway, it's, it is good to be home. And uh, we had a great time in the UK. We uh, did 14 weeks there, visited 13 churches, plus a couple in Singapore, and so thank you for those that prayed for us. We, um, we had uh, um, some amazing times, saw some incredible healings and miracles. We're going to share about some of those tonight, and uh, hopefully that'll create an atmosphere of faith, because uh, we want to see people healed tonight. Yeah. Uh, we also saw about 100 people come to Christ, so that was really cool. And my lasting memory was in, in Cardiff, one Sunday evening service, two, only two it had been a number in the morning, but two people came to the Lord. One of them was a 10-year-old, one of them was an 80-year-old. And I thought, wow, there it is. You know, you're never too old, you're never too young to receive the Lord. And uh, that, that sort of remained quite a memory. So we've got something on our hearts we want to share with you this morning. And uh, we, we, we feel actually it's going to align tremendously with this prayer emphasis. We didn't know about this, but um, anyway, you listen up and be encouraged. You know, something that, that God is currently doing across the earth right now is the Spirit of the Lord is stirring awakening in the nations to prepare their hearts to receive the gospel because God is after the salvation of the nations. And the Spirit of the Lord is stirring God's people everywhere to rise up and pray like never before. So this prayer walk is right in the very center of of Father's heart for us to do. Now I'm going to briefly share a prophetic word and it's called release the raw. And I highlight just two things from Revelation 5 where John sees events in heaven and he sees God sitting on the throne and in his right hand holding a scroll sealed with seven seals. And then John wept because there was no one found who was worthy to open it. And then one of the elders said to him, don't weep. And this is the first thing we note. The elder says, see, the Lion of Judah has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. And then a bit further down, we see John says, then I saw a lamb standing in the center of the throne. And the elders fall down before the lamb. And the second thing to take note is what they are holding they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. That is really powerful. The two things linked, the lion and the prayers. Because one of the spices in the incense was called onica. And the, the Hebrew word for onica is directly linked to a Hebrew word, which means to roar as a lion. And the prophetic word that has been going over and over in my head that I cannot get out is release the roar, release the roar, release the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Release the roar of war, release the roar of intercession. Let the roar rise up to the throne of God like incense, filling those golden bowls. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. You need to know that your prayers, the roar of your intercession, carries great power, far more than you realize. 
and it is the roar of victory. The line of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. So raise a roar of praise. Let the roar of praise continually rise up just as it is in heaven. God wants us to know that the raging roars of fear, intimidation, and hopelessness being released by the enemy right now come from a defeated foe. We have the line's authority to overcome and resist him because Jesus himself said, I give you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. And James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah is the true lion with the authentic roar. Satan is a copycat with a counterfeit roar. So roar at your situations in your personal life and don't just accept them. Because the spirit of the lion of Judah lives in you. And your roar also releases the roar of the Lion of Judah. I was reminded by the Holy Spirit of the 2014 New Zealand and Beyond Conference. In the first night, I had a vision of the great Lion of Judah in his glory. And Jesus said, I am about to roar over this nation. And I saw fire come out of his mouth. And that fire is for an unprecedented harvest in this nation. And then a few months ago, I had another vision of the line of Judah shining with his glory fire. And again, Jesus said, I am about to roar over this nation. And when I do, I will release my fire and my glory. And then this time, in the, as I was watching and, and beholding him, I saw him and I heard him give this mighty roar. And it was so loud, like in it, nothing I'd ever heard. And the blast of his breath was like a powerful, mighty wind that just swept across our entire nation to the furthest ends. And this sweeping wind of the Spirit is going to sweep the nation clean, sweep away God's enemies, and there'll be a great sweeping in of the unsaved into the kingdom of God. The Lion of Judah is roaring with power, and, and the Lord is about to release a new roar of power to his people, as in Acts 2 verse 2. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roar of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house. God wants to fill the whole house with his roar of power, and note that that roar came with fire. So let the cry rise up, come Lord Jesus, come line of Judah, release the roar, release the roar over this nation and the nations of the world. So I want to talk to you about the fact that we are at war. And uh, just to let you know, we've got some copies of our book Afterlife in the foyer and we're getting incredible feedback um, from many now that have read it around the world, that um, particularly if they've lost a loved one, um, it's been an incredible encouragement, really helping people get healed. And so if you've lost somebody uh, close to you, or you know somebody that's lost someone close to them, 
uh, why don't you get a copy of this book or give it to them? Or um, there's a lot of the book just about, you know, the future life, what, what heaven is like. And um, actually, I'd like to give that one away. Anyone like that one? You would? Here you go. Come, uh, the lady in blonde. Here, come and get it. I'll just leave it there for you. Um, so, yeah, get that and be encouraged. And um, my friend Joe Matera, he lives in New York, and he writes a weekly article. And I picked up something from one of his recent uh, writings. He said this, Many people in the body of Christ are discouraged because they are succumbing to the overall negative global climate instead of fighting the good fight of faith. God has allowed this test to reveal to them their true condition. Uh, I think you would agree that we're living in a, in a very negative world at the moment. The media uh, loves to report the negative, uh, loves to bring extreme slants on things, and has become quite ideological in what it's pushing. Uh, very little uh, media reporting is objective these days. And certainly when we were in the United Kingdom, the, the, the palpable fear that was over that nation, because we were there for the, uh, the two London terror attacks, we were there for the Manchester bombing, and we were there for the Grenfell Tower fire, uh, th there was just a sense of, oh God, what is happening, you know, and people were in living in fear. But the good thing is that it was stirring churches like I've never known. We've been going nine years. Uh, they're all talking about we've got to pray, we've got to reach out, and there's this rising tide of prayer because, you see, these negative situations sort us out. We either become pussycats that meow or lions that roar. And I feel like sometimes the enemy just uh, suppresses us into being nice little pussycats. But Jesus hasn't called you to meow. He's called you to roar. I feel like there's some people here, you're being bullied by the devil. He's pushing you around, pushing your kids around, pushing your grandkids around. What are you going to do about it? Resign, say, oh, this is terrible. No, you have a roar to release. You have an authority to release. You have, you have weapons of your warfare to release. What are we going to do? Are we going to sit by and let our nation continue to go down the tubes, these elections that are coming up? Government isn't the answer to a prayer, the government, uh, to a nation, the government of God is. But when you, you have a decent government, you have peace for the kingdom of God to extend it. We ought to be praying now for those elections, praying God puts in power those He wants. You know, some years ago, the Lord gave me a vision of the world painted red with blood. It wasn't particularly nice. And he said, natural and spiritual conflict will increase and civil wars will increase, both armed conflict and ideological conflict. But there will be a great harvest. And the ideological conflict we're seeing now, um, you, you can just see it left and right, conservative, liberal, this and that. It's just like, it's so sharp. And that shouldn't surprise us because Jesus told a parable that we really need to understand for the times we're living in. It's the parable of the wheat and the tears. It's about a farmer that sows a field of wheat. Overnight, his enemy comes and he sows tears. Tears, T-A-R-E-S. Tears are another name for a plant called darnel. And darnel looks like wheat in the juvenile form. So as the two plants are growing, you can't tell the difference. Is this darnel? Is this wheat? And so you can't really try and uproot the darnel because you'll probably destroy the wheat. Um, but at harvest time, when the grain is now in the head, uh, the, the, head of, the grain of the darnel 
is distinguishable from the grain of wheat, and so you can make a separation. And unless you separate it out, the, the grain of darnel is bitter. So if you allow it into the wheat, you'll taint it with a bit of taste. Not only that, in high enough concentration, it's toxic. See, when you get wickedness in high enough concentration, it's toxic. And Jesus said the wheat represents the sons and daughters of God and of righteousness, and, and the tares represents the sons of Satan, the sons and daughters of, of the wicked one, or of wickedness. And he was basically saying that when he comes again, he'll sort out the wheat from the tares. He'll make a separation of the righteous and the unrighteous, the righteous and the wicked, and the wicked will be consumed by fire, but the righteous will be allowed into the eternal kingdom of his father. And he's saying that separation will take place at the end of time. But what it also says is that the nearer we get to his coming, we're going to see a maturity of wickedness and a maturity of righteousness simultaneously. It's going to be like Charles Dickens. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. 35,000 people come to Christ every day in China. 33,000 people come to Christ every day in Africa. Tens of thousands coming to Christ in India. There's phenomenal things happening. Millions of Muslims being saved. As Jesus is appearing to them in visions and dreams. Phenomenal things happening, but we get the media blast. It all looks bad. It all looks negative. And really, you've got to have your ear tuned to heaven to know what heaven is saying and doing. Otherwise, we're just going to get on with our lives and be pussycats when Jesus is coming. I want you to rule. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Be sober. The opposite of sober is drunk. I don't think a lot of Christians get drunk with alcohol, but we can get intoxicated with worldly things. We can lose sight that we're here to extend a kingdom to our kids, to our neighborhood, to our schools, to our businesses, to wherever. We're here to extend the kingdom of God. Be alert and sober mind, Peter says, for your enemy, the devil. Who's your enemy? It's not your boss. It's not your neighbor. It's not that family member that's being difficult. Your enemy, the devil. He's behind a lot of that stuff. I know sin is a problem in people, but the, the devil fans the stuff into flame. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's just looking. Then it says, resist him. How do you do that? Standing firm in the faith. That's how you do it. It's not just, I rebuke you, devil. It's like, I'm going to stand firm in my faith. I'm not going to doubt. I'm going to believe that God is a good God. He answers prayer. I'm lifting up the shield of faith. I'm going to stand firm in my faith. That's how you do it. Standing firm in your faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And there is an attack on Christianity now that is global. It's just, you know, in secular Europe, the secularists are after Christianity. Radical Islam after wiping out Christianity, and so on and on it goes. But the thing is, you may be a target. You may be a target. The moment you become a Christian, you get a bullseye painted on you. You can be a target, but you don't have to be a casualty. You might be a t Look, you know, if we're in this following Jesus thing, you're going to be a target. Because Satan doesn't want you to follow Jesus. Satan doesn't want you to have victory. Satan doesn't want you to be an overcomer. And he's going to try and discourage you and defeat you and seduce you into 
uh, distraction and all that kind of stuff. And might I just add right now, before we, so we can orientate ourselves properly, there is no war between God and the devil. Can we make that clear right at the beginning? A lot of people think the devil's like an anti-God. So he's like God, but he's working negative. No, the devil is just a fallen angel. Admittedly, he was a mighty angel, but he's still an angel that fell. How many know angels are not as powerful as God? Okay. For example, angels can't be everywhere at once like God can. So the devil can't be everywhere at once. That's why he needs a network of fallen angels and demons to do his work in the earth. Uh, Fallen angels don't know everything like God does. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Uh, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. The devil's not all-powerful. So he has limited powers. So the warfare is not between God and the devil, because how many know God's won that one? The warfare is between the devil and humanity, because we were created in the image of God. And Satan is jealous that God would go and create a race on planet Earth that reflects who God is. See, Satan wanted to be like God. He said, I'm going to make myself like God. I want all of heaven to worship me, not God. And he was defeated. He was thrown out of heaven. He was overcome by Michael, the archangel, and all the other angels. God ejected him. And then when God turns around and creates a human race in the image of God, that incensed Satan. And he began to wage a, a powerful warfare against this human race that God had created. I am going to destroy the image of God in this creation. And so his warfare is against humanity, against you and me. And that's why he goes after destroying family, because family reflects the Father. He goes and he tries to destroy marriage, because marriage reflects Jesus and the church. And now he's after gender identity, because male and female, he created them. You're not male one day and female the next. And I know some people are confused and they come under a cloud and got to show them compassion and mercy. But my Bible tells, tell, tells me male and female, he created them. That's how God made it to be. That's what Satan is trying to destroy, the image of God. It's just nuts, guys. It is absolute nuts, the stuff these liberals are coming out with. And it's fanned into flame by the devil himself. So this battle between the devil and humankind, how did it begin? Where did it come from? Luke 4, verses 5 and 6, the devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. And Jesus, of course, doesn't buy into that and says, get behind me, Satan. But the point of the matter here is that the devil claims that the world and all that in it has been given to him. And Jesus didn't dispute that because it was true. When God created planet Earth and put mankind, humankind on planet Earth, Adam and Eve, he said, I give you dominion over all the earth. Subdue it, rule over it. He gave us rulership on planet Earth. Is that right? But when Satan came into the Garden of Eden and deceived Eve and Adam into rebelling against God, at that moment we forfeited our right to rule. We lost 
our connection with God. And when you lose your connection with God, you no longer can be his governors on earth because you are now separated from the supreme governor. And, and so they lost their right to rule. And it was literally handed over to the devil. And the devil became ruler of planet earth. The earth came under a curse. Death came into the world. There was a whole lot of bad things that happened. And so now we're in this incredible conflict. Now, when Jesus died on a cross, he completely destroyed the power of the enemy, and he won back the right for humanity to rule in planet Earth, but it has to be enforced. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says, For though we live in the world, we are not carrying on a worldly war. The weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Ephesians 6, verse 12, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Now, eventually, Satan, the fallen angels, and the demons are all going to be thrown into hell at the end of time. They're not there yet. And so they're running amok in planet Earth, trying to bring war and, and misunderstanding and conflict and all of that kind of, trying to ruin people's lives. And so that's the origin of the battle. But what about the origin of the victory? Well, you know, the price of Adam and Eve's disobedience was huge. It's like punishment for sin, and the wages of sin is death, so death came into the world. Um, a curse came on the planet, so it no longer became the paradise that it once was. Uh, hell, which had been originally created for Satan and his fallen angels, now became a place where rebellious humanity, if they died in their rebellion, God would be forced and obliged by his justice to also send them. And the other price that humanity paid for rebelling against God was to have Satan become the taskmaster over planet Earth. And wherever people allow him to be that, he will be the ruler. And if you just look out into what's happening in the world today, you see he's alive and well on planet Earth, exercising dictatorship over so many lives. But where you get a people rising up in prayer, rising up in faith, rising up in spiritual warfare, they begin to overthrow the work of the enemy. And so God can come and change a nation, change a city, change a town. And sometimes it takes years and years, and sometimes we get impatient and we give up. But we have to understand Jesus as the true Messiah, he overcame every effect of the fall. Because if he didn't do that, he wouldn't have been a true Messiah. And in Colossians 2, 13 and 14, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Everybody on planet Earth has a record book in heaven on them. Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff in my book on that. Uh, but you can do your own study on the books of God. Just, Google, just do a search. Uh, everybody on planet Earth ha has a record book in heaven uh, that details everything about their life, what they do, say, think, etc. Now, the problem is, on Judgment Day, those books are going to be opened, and if there's sin recorded there, they will condemn us, and God will be forced to send us to hell. 
about what Jesus did, because God is not willing to send anyone to hell. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And so he, he instituted an incredible scheme to send his son, the Holy One, to die in the place of sinful humanity. And as Jesus is hanging on a cross, he's taking all your sin and my sin on himself so that the, the record of our sin now gets translated to Jesus on the cross. And when you believe in Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord, you get his record of perfect righteousness credited to your account. So what happens when you believe in Jesus, Father takes the record books in heaven and he wipes out every record of sin and wrong. It's just not there because it's on Jesus. So that those record books in heaven now for a believer that's staying connected to Jesus only contains good things and they will form the basis of how much God will be able to reward you on judgment day because judgment day for the believer is going to be like a great prize giving ceremony. But listen, judgment day for the non-believer is going to be a terrifying day of punishment and God's not willing that that happens so he wants all to come to everlasting life. But Jesus dealt with the sin thing on the cross completely. And so God looks at you today as perfectly righteous in His sight if you have faith in Jesus, because that's your position. And you're not saved by your condition, which might be less than your position, because you and I, we all know we're all struggling with things. Is that right? That's your condition. But your position is one that's totally righteous in God's sight. And you're acceptable to God by your position, which is through faith in Jesus, not by your condition. That's why the devil is a condemner. What is one of the things that he does? He accuses and condemns Christians of their imperfections. And your only power of defense is the blood of Jesus. You say, devil, that, yeah, I might have done some stupid things, but the blood of Jesus washes me clean. He has died for me on the cross. I have his righteous record on my life. God is not accepting me on the basis of how perfect I am, but of my faith in Jesus Christ. Wow. But you know, there was more. As well as dying on the cross, it says that Jesus' body was laid in the grave and he descended into hell. Matthew 12, 40, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And his body gets laid in the grave. Grave in the Bible is personified by the word death with a capital D. It's like given a personal title. The grave is death. And death swallows up multitudes of people. But it says in 1 Peter 3 that the spirit of Christ, his body went into the grave, into death, but his spirit went down into Hades. That's the Greek word. Sheol is the Hebrew word. We use a word in English called hell, but it was the place of departed spirits. And Peter says he just went down and he announced, he proclaimed his victory to the spirits in prison. We don't understand that. Theologians have debated that. What on earth was happening? Nobody fully knows except that Jesus, not only his body goes into the grave, but his spirit goes down into hell and he's not suffering in hell. He's announcing his victory over hell. Uh, we don't fully understand it, but when he rose again from the dead on the third day, it meant that the grave could not hold him and it meant that Hades could not hold him. It meant that he conquered hell and he conquered death. That's what that meant. Revelation 1.18. He says, I am the living one. <clears throat> Look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. 
you go hold keys to something, you hold authority over them, is that right? And you've got to know, my friend, who holds the keys of death? Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus, death cannot harm you. Who holds the keys of hell? If you're a believer in Jesus, hell cannot holds you. You have been set free. Yeah, you may die physically, but one day your spirit will be reunited with a resurrection body and you'll live in a body that'll never tire, never get sick, never get worn out. It'll be a glorious body and because Jesus promised to restore that which was stolen. So he, he descended, he arose, and then thirdly, he ascended into heaven. He's with his disciples for 40 days and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God and and they go out to the Mount of Olives and it says that as they looked, he was just taken up into heaven before their eyes. And you've got to understand that something else was happening as he was ascending into heaven. Because in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the fact that he had a vision one day. And he said, I got caught up to the third heaven. He said, I, I saw things I can't even describe or write about. That was so amazing. And many um, Bible theologians, and I'm, I, I believe this, is, believe that the third heaven is the heaven where God dwells. And that the fir- like the first heaven is the atmosphere above the earth, like the sky. And the second heaven is space. And then the third heaven is God's realm. When Satan and his fallen angels rebelled in heaven and they were defeated and cast out of the third heaven, where did they go? They went into the first and second heavens. Ephesians 2 verse 2 says, The devil is the prince of the power of the air. So he's not in hell. He's not yet on planet earth, although that apparently is going to happen if you read the book of Revelation and even be displaced from the first and second heaven. So at the moment, and certainly when Jesus was ascending up through the heavens, Satan sets his throne up in the first and second heaven. From there, he, he, he's trying to control what's happening in the nations of the earth. But as Jesus is coming up through the heavens, there's going to be... uh, there's going to be like static electricity. There's going to be conflict because Jesus has just defeated Satan on the cross. He has risen from the dead and he is complete victor. So can you imagine what's going to happen as Jesus begins to rise up through the domain of Satan? There's going to be repercussions. And in Colossians 2.15, it says, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You've got to understand that on the cross, Jesus crushed sin. At the resurrection, he crushed death and hell. And as he ascended up through the heavens, he crushed Satan, his fallen angels, and his demons. I used to, as a little kid, watch a TV program called Branded. Anyone remember Branded? Any hands here? No hands. There's no one as old as me. What a shame. Well, I was going back into the 60s now, and it's on a black and white TV. Branded was about this cavalry officer in the U.S. Cavalry in the 1800s, and he was falsely accused of a crime, and they had this court-martial, and he's, he's found guilty, but really he's innocent, and, and, he, and he, the whole series he's trying to prove his innocence. But when he's found guilty, uh, the commanding officer of the fort gathers all the soldiers 
They're all standing to attention. And he puts this guilty, so-called guilty officer in the middle. And then because he's been found guilty at court-martial, the, the commanding officer comes up and he, he um, pulls off the badges of rank off his shoulder, the epaulets. He takes his hat and he throws it on the ground and stamps on it. He pulls the brass buttons off his military tunic. And then he takes his ceremonial sword and he breaks it over his knee. And, and then the man is sent out in disgrace from the fort. This is what Jesus did to the devil. As, as the Lord is ascending up through the heavens, it says he disarmed the principalities and powers and he publicly disgraced them. Publicly, why? Who could see that? The angels of God in heaven were looking on. They had fought a battle with Satan and his fallen angels thousands of years before. They're going, come on, Jesus, enforce the victory. And there's a great chair going up from heaven as Jesus ascends, comes up to the devil, takes his rank, takes his authority, takes away his weaponry and says, I render you totally ineffective. You have no authority on planet earth. You have no authority over people that follow me. And he, and he completely enforces that victory one at the cross. But then Jesus keeps coming up and up and finally he steps over into heaven and I can imagine all the angels are hushed as Jesus comes to present himself to the Father and says, Father, I've finished the job you've asked me to do, to restore paradise on earth, to redeem people back to you, and to destroy the destroyer. For the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 10, 12 and 13 says, But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. And you say, well, how, how, why is he waiting? Hasn't he already done it? Well, you see, the victory that was won then has to be enforced now. You say, well, won't Jesus just do that when he comes back? Yes, he will completely, but he's looking to his church to do it now in the earth. He's looking for his church to enforce the victory that is won. See, we don't fight for a victory that we have to win. We fight for a victory that has already been won. We're just enforcing it in planet earth. And, you know, we cannot afford to be impressed by the devil. He's doing a lot of negative things out in the world today. And if we're not careful, we can get fearful and intimidate and go, that's terrible. Uh, if we are impressed by his negative works, what we're going to do is we'll always be living in reaction to darkness. I think rather we must live in response to the Father. We must have more confidence in Father's ability to protect and bless us than in the devil's ability to harm us. Christ has won a complete victory, an utter victory over sin, death, hell, and Satan, but we must enforce that. It's a little bit like the end of World War II in the Pacific. The Japanese government surrendered, unconditional surrender. They signed the documents in Tokyo Harbor. But the problem was there were still hundreds of thousands of Japanese soldiers scattered through the Pacific Islands because the Allies had island hopped. They'd skipped certain islands. They'd conquered others on their way into Japan. So you got hundreds of thousands of Japanese soldiers, and a lot of them didn't believe their government had surrendered, and a lot of them kept fighting after the, the articles of surrender had been signed. So the war was over, but these soldiers kept fighting. In some cases, they you know, had to drop lots of leaflets. They had to convince these soldiers to lay down their arms in some cases, military action was required to enforce it. 
Uh, you know, there was one Japanese officer, he kept fighting for 27 years after the surrender. They found him on an island in the Philippines in 1972. He still thought Japan was at war. And he'd hidden himself waiting, and you know, he'd hidden himself for 27 years waiting, hoping that the, the army would come back and they would continue the fight. Isn't that tragic? They had to get one of his fellow soldiers to go and convince him that um, the war was actually over. And all that to say that, you know, although the devil's defeated by Jesus, we've got to enforce the victory. We've got to enforce the rule. And I haven't got time to teach on the weapons of our warfare. That's a whole, we do a whole seminar on that. But all that's to say is, you know, prayer is one of the most powerful weapons you and I have in our arsenal. And uh, all around the world, God is releasing a fresh fire for prayer. In the UK, we go church after church. We've got to be praying more. We, we want to be reaching the nation more. There's a fire of prayer being lit there. There's a fire of prayer being lit here, all through the nations of the earth. They tell me now, around the earth today, there are 20,000, 20,000 plus 24-7 prayer rooms around the world, that every nation on planet earth has a 24-7 prayer room, and obviously many nations have many of them. You know, back 20 years ago, there was one or two. So what has God done in 20 years? He's breathing on his church a spirit of prayer. Why? Because when God wants to do a great work, he first sets his people praying. That's why. And prayer and mission go hand in hand. Those Moravian Christians, they started a 24-7 prayer meeting that went for 100 years and 64 years into it of, of unceasing prayer. They'd released 300 missionaries onto the mission field. Prayer and mission go hand in hand. Prayer and world evangelization go hand in hand. If you're going to see your loved ones saved, your friends saved, it's going to be prayer and reaching out to them that will really do it. And we have to understand that God is calling the church afresh to pray like as never before. Are you going to be a pussycat or are you going to be a lion? Are you going to let the devil make you whimper or are you going to get your roar back? Are you going to just accept what the enemy's doing in your life or are you going to say, God, I'm going to seek you for breakthrough from heaven? Are you going to accept what is happening in the nations of the earth? I'm telling you, the Father is determined to answer one of the greatest prayers of Jesus. Two great prayers of Jesus. Number one, John 17, Father, give me, Father, make them one. Unity. And the second great prayer, Psalm 2, Father, give me the nations for my inheritance. How many want to get Jesus what he wants? I want to be part of that. You may not be a missionary that goes to the ends of the earth. You may not go to the United Kingdom like we do or, or Pakistan like Pastor Tark or others go or, or whoever. But listen, you don't have to go very far to pray for the ends of the earth. You just call on the name of Jesus. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Amen. We're going to pray into that in a moment. I feel like Greta shared that there are people here, you need to get your roar back. God wants to release a fire uh, of faith and of prayer and of courage. I said before, I felt that there are people that are beaten and bruised by the enemy, maybe feeling a bit bewildered as to what has been happening to you. And uh, Maybe there's a sense of confinement and containment that's come around your life because the enemy has built some fences and it's time some of those fences 
got pushed down. But before we get to that moment, I want to talk to you. If you may not know this incredible Jesus I've been talking about. He won a victory for you on, on the cross. He died for you. And the Bible says that as many that receive him, who believe in his name, he gives them power to become children of God. And I'd love to pray a simple prayer that would allow you to receive Jesus this morning. Or maybe you once did that, but you walk right away from God and you know that you need to come back to God today. And uh, can we just close our eyes to help us concentrate? And if that is you, you know that you need to get right with God today. You need to ask Jesus to forgive you your sin. You, you need your record book of sin in heaven blotted out so that only good things remain. Jesus died in your place to take all your sin and mine on himself. And the Bible says the moment you turn to Jesus, the moment you ask him to forgive you and come into your life, he will forgive you. He will come and live in you by the Holy Spirit. He will change you from the inside out. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, He makes all things new. And I think maybe there's some people in the, in the building today that you need to become a new creation in Christ. You need to give your life to Jesus or come back to Him. And while we've got our eyes closed, concentrating, praying, if that's you, you're saying, yeah, I need Jesus in my life, David. I need to come back to Him. Why don't you just quickly lift your hand right now? God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? Just quickly raise your hand. You're saying yes to Jesus or you're coming back to Him. Just quickly raise your hand. As I scan the room, I'll acknowledge it and you'll be able to put it down again. You know, sometimes fear will stop you at this moment. Fear, you know, what are people going to think? Well, don't worry about what others think. It's what God thinks that matters. And Jesus said, if you confess me before people, I will confess you before my Father. But if you're ashamed of me before people, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. Is there someone else? Just quickly raise your hand. Yeah, over there on my right. God bless you, young lady. Thank you. Anyone else? Just quickly raise your hand. Just quickly raise your hand. Up in the balcony, if there's someone up there, a bit of a battle going on, just, just why don't you just shoot your hand up in the air saying, I'm just not going to let fear stop me today. Just quickly raise your hand right now. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you down there on my left. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just quickly, I'll... Just wait another 10, 15 seconds. Just if I've missed you, just hold it up, wave at me. I don't want to miss it here. God bless you straight down in front of me. Thank you. You're either coming back to Jesus or coming to him for the first time. Just quickly as you, as I scan you, God, is that a young man right up the back? I don't know. Are you raising your hand, son? Or are you just tired having a stretch? I'm not sure what's going on there. Anyone else? Up in the balcony, down on the floor. Yeah, God bless your son down the back. Thank you. Lift your hand. Yeah, over there, sir. God bless you on the, on the left. Anyone else? Just getting right with God. This is your day. This is your time. Get right with Jesus. Come to know him today. He's a good God. Died in your place. Loves you. There's no sin you've committed that he can't forgive. He's an awesome God, an awesome Savior. Doesn't condemn you. He said, I didn't come to condemn people. I came to save them. That's who Jesus is. So as I scan the room one last time, is there someone else saying, yeah, I need Jesus in my life or I need to come back to him?
Would you just quickly raise your hand right now? So I just look around one last time. I'll see it. All right, I don't see anyone. Church, would you like to stand? I love to pray for the people that raise their hands. And um, as I often say, my problem is you're scattered all over the room. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you raised your hand, is come to me. I'll be standing down the front here in the next uh, few seconds. And I would love to pray with you. You're among friends today, so don't be afraid of coming to the front. But if you raised your hand, would you leave where you're standing right now and just come and stand, meet me down the front. Just come from all over the church.